0: Hi everybody, and welcome to Writer's Showcase. I am your host for the night, author Jennifer Ann Gordon, the award-winning author of Beautiful, Frightening and Silence, as well as From Daylight to Madness, and When the Sleeping Dead Still Talk. I am here with one of my all-time favorite authors, Bram Stoker Award winner, British Fantasy Award winner, best-selling author Paul Tremblay. Welcome, Paul.
1: Hi, everybody. Hi, Jennifer.
0: Thank you for having me here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just going to give a little disclaimer to our audience. Uh, we're having some internet and technical difficulties. So if one of us drops out, Paul promised he would do like a little song and dance. <laughs> Is that- I'll do my best. <laughs> do your best. Um, so if we drop out, um, please stick with us and we'll try to either get right back on or we will reschedule this for uh, a time that will work with the, uh, the forces that be.
1: I like your background, by the
0: way <laughs> Thank you, it's a shower curtain I'm oh. not in the I'm not in the bathroom But I do have ugly wallpaper And I get very bored of it quick So I keep switching it out for uh, Different backdrops
1: yeah, Those are shower curtains too they're Actually they're not, I'm just kidding oh, But you're curtains. in your bathroom <laughs> yeah.
0: So Paul, I was up late last night Because I was finishing your Re-release of your debut novel The Little Sleep Can Oh,
1: thank you well, like, I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> it played, was a good like thing. this is terrible. Land
0: I know, just really going bad. like here are all the questions I'm going to ask. Why? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> uh, so I want you to tell us a little bit about the little sleep and how it because it has just recently been re released, but it is your debut novel.
1: Right. Yeah. So I mean, it's funny. I uh, I wrote it in basically from April of 2007 to August of 2007. You know, so it's, you know, quite an old book. Um, it's fine. It's like, man, I my memory of, of the book itself is is sort of weird <laughs> and, and gone away in some ways. Oh, Jennifer's frozen. So I'll keep talking. Um, so I guess let me start the story with this. So the, the opening chapter of The Little Sleep uh, is a sort of a stereotypical crime, hard scene where a beautiful woman walks into a big city a big city PI's office, private detective's office, um, you know, and there's sort of like the hard boiled banter, but then, you know, uh, the woman who walks into Mark Janovich's office holds up her hand and she's got bandages around the bases of her fingers. And she says, you know, someone stole my fingers and replace, you know, and replaced them with someone else's fingers. You know, I need you to help me find my fingers. Um, Oh
0: my gosh, I'm back.
1: That's okay. I was just talking about the beginning of the book anyway. Uh,
0: I feel like it's almost appropriate if I keep fading in and out because
1: I'm. Oh, she's fading in and out again. i much
0: like yeah. your main character, Mark Genovich. Oh no.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, definitely. This is very Genovichian. <laughs> <laughs> set up if we're, if we're going in and out. Yeah, I basically just described like the opening chapter, and I actually had the idea for the opening chapter probably like a full year before I wrote the book because I didn't know what to do with it. At first, I thought I was going to try to write like a horror, crime, science fiction, Philip K. Dick hybrid, but I had no story idea for it. Um, And it wasn't until I I sort of stumbled across some of the symptoms of narcolepsy um, that I didn't know existed, frankly, other than just you know being exhausted and falling asleep. You know, and once I read about the hallucinations and some of the cataplectic attacks, I was like, oh, that first chapter made sense to me. You know, it uh, she wasn't really missing fingers. Uh, the detective was having like a hallucination slash dream um well i have to say that that was was a very
0: vivid hallucination dream
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i mean that's the thing with um you know and when i wrote the book um there wasn't a lot known about narcolepsy it was sort of like honestly it was well i was researching it like oh six oh seven you know there really weren't a lot of like primary sources uh, to choose from. In fact, one of the main books I used was a self-published book by a woman just talking about her experiences with narcolepsy, um, which I leaned on pretty heavily. And, you know, I, about a decade prior to writing the novel, I suffered from pretty bad sleep apnea. So I never had the hypnagogic hallucinations, but, you know, exhausted all the time, falling asleep at inappropriate times, you know, until I I had you know major oral surgery to help try to make it better.
0: Um, I think I read about your oral surgery on Twitter.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I our, my newsletter too, which was kind of yeah, weird. I, that's what it was. It was your
0: newsletter. Um, I loved that the detective was narcoleptic. I actually had a friend years ago whose mother had narcolepsy, and she was the only person I'd ne- I'd ever met with it. And she would tell us stories that her kids would try to make her laugh or feel any kind of really strong emotion. Right. To watch her shut down. They thought it was hilarious. So they would tell these great stories and she'd start laughing and she was like, no, don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. And then she'd be gone.
1: Yeah. I, and I had, you know, before the book, I had never heard of those symptoms. Um, you know, I will say it was even, you know, at the time it was important to writing the book. It was important to me that, you know, Mark Genovich, you know, even though there was a dark humor throughout the book, I never wanted to make him like the the butt of the joke. Like, I hope I never made him seem like Beetle Bailey that we're laughing at, Mark. We're sort of, you know, we're we're definitely on his side.
0: I was so on his side, and I'm not usually this kind of person, but I thought he is my new book boyfriend. And (laughs) I don't usually have book boyfriends, but I pictured him as a cross between Adam Driver and the Hound from Game of Thrones. Ooh, I like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he might not be as tall as those guys, but I I like the the personality combination. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it was, when the, when the book was first published, I I was very gratified and I was not expecting this at all, but I did actually get like nice, you know, people mailed me letters who had suffered from narcolepsy, you know, who had narcolepsy and they were like, oh, you know, I'd never seen someone represented, you know, this way, you know, so, I mean, that was really cool. Um, it was even like. You know, there's a narcolepsy, a medical narcolepsy group that recommended it initially, you know, in 2009 when it came out. Yeah. You know, so that was, that was nice and unexpected. You know, I'm glad, you know, I, like I said, I never wanted to make it feel like, you know, we're laughing at Mark, because we're certainly not. Like, he's, Yeah, and
0: I certainly didn't. Of it. Yeah. Um, I thought too, he was such a great character, but the writing in this book was, uh, honestly, I was very impressed because it was your debut novel, and it reads really like a, a dream at times the, the language is brutal but beautiful it's Thank hypnotic God. and it's so so boston which <laughs> i loved oh well, thanks uh
1: I mean, part of it was i mean i got it was fun because i got to sort of riff on hard-boiled language and it's clearly an homage to like you know raymond chandler kind of stuff um, yeah, I, so I kept picturing one.
0: a little Perry Mason, like the new uh, <laughs> the new reboot of Perry Mason, where it's like right. edgy, but still old school.
1: Yeah, and, other, and, and the other part of it was, you know, I, I lived in South Boston for three years. I'm no South Boston expert. But, you know, it's funny, even at the time of writing it, I realized, you know, South Boston in the cultural sort of sphere, people have this image of what South Boston is from the different movies and books that yeah. it's all Irish Catholic. And, you know, this is what Southie is. So for most of the book, I was really trying to undercut it when I could. Uh, you know, there's a large Lithuanian community in South Boston. My, my I was going
0: to say, I love the Lithuanian. Yeah, I love that. I was just like, yes, finally somebody <laughs> is like looking at Boston and saying, oh, it's not just it's not just Irish.
1: Sure. You know, my, my mom's, uh, my mom, my, my Lisa, my wife, her mother's side of the family, all Lithuanian, all grew up in South Boston. So, oh. you know, we used to go to family <laughs> events at the Lithuanian club. Um, you know, at like Christmases, you know, eating Lithuanian food, which is a lot of cabbage stuff, which I'm not into. I don't like. Candy. I was gonna
0: say, aren't you picky with food? I can't imagine you. Eating yeah, I'm picky food. with food. Uh, I mean, my husband's but, Russian, and when we visit his family, I'm just I look at it and I'm like, mm, no. Yeah, family. like
1: Lithuanian kielbasi. I, I oh. you know, I, I've, I've been jokingly kicked out of that side of the family because I describe it as sausage without any flavor. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, just, have you ever had to have something uh, which was like cold beet salad? No,
1: I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Do you wouldn't it. do that. You wouldn't no. do that.
0: Beets and vinegar for every meal. Yeah, you know,
1: <laughs> yeah, no. I've expanded. I haven't expanded that far though. <laughs> um, oh, Jennifer's frozen again. Let's talk about the shower curtain. Uh, anyway, so I was yeah, so. Um, just to, to go back to the Mark Jenevich's name is Jenevich uh my mother-in-law's maiden name. And actually Mark's mom is named after my mother-in-law, uh, Ellen Jenevich, who died in 2011. So it's also a little bit bittersweet that, you know, the book is out, like the character. Other than her name, it's not really uh, my mother-in-law. Like I, I got a kick of someone named after my mother-in-law being described as wearing clown pants and doing some goofy stuff like that. Um... So I don't know. It is kind of strange, with, you know, how, how time works. How, how this book is out now, all these years later, and how different it is now compared to then. Just both in terms of my life, but also in terms uh, of my my writing life as well. Um, I'm going to be brazen and <laughs> just to hold up the new the new version of it. It's so nice. Um, I don't have the original one. So the original book, if if you were to look it up. You know, that cover has, like, all sorts of guns on it and stuff. And, there, you know, there's, like, one scene with a gun in it. Um, So that cover never really worked. And it was funny. I, I told my publisher at the time. My publisher was Henry Holt, which is part of Macmillan. Um, anyway, I sent them the poster of the movie, Anatomy for Murder. They said, "Dale, what would you want the cover to look like? So I sent them that poster. I wish I could look it up, but I don't want to risk knocking us off the internet
0: hey hey (laughs) she's back i'm back i feel like um you're giving me clues to a mystery and i'm gonna have to go i'm gonna have to go to cape cod i'm gonna have to rent an electric car right um so this this is a very exciting interview for me What's funny is the irony of this, I don't know anything you were just talking about, was the last time I had uh, an author on our other show, Vox Vomitus, which was a crime author, was uh, Sean Cosby. And his internet kept going in and out the entire time. So we were all on the edge of our seat, and then he would disappear. Oh. And we're like, oh, Sean, where did you go? And then we'd come back mid-story, and we're like, I feel like that you're doing this on purpose as a crime writer to make it more difficult for me to suss out the clues.
1: Yes. So, but the roles are reversed.
0: <laughs> I know. I know. Um, so I don't know what you said while I was gone. That's I, I, I talked about
1: <laughs> the difference between the, the new cover and the old cover. So nothing really about the, the story.
0: Oh. So did you have any say in the new cover?
1: No. Uh, and I loved it. Um, it. It really was sent to me almost as is. I don't think I made any. They actually, they sent me a few choices. Um, this one I liked right away. For that one, and for the for the next book, No Sleep to Wonderland, which is coming out in April, there was a couple of choices. I really liked both, but so essentially, I chose one of two designs. But that was it. I really not a lot of uh, input necessary for, for these
0: covers they're great um so with with the second book being re-released in april have you thought at all about dipping into a third book in this series
1: no not really i mean
0: you're killing me he's my book (laughs) boyfriend paul
1: (laughs) well like way back in the day well i'll say this like when i wrote the little sleep you know i I turned it into my agent you know i'd never sold a book before but i had my agent i don't know part of this was just me being ignorant You know, I said to him, it's like, look, I know how publishing works, especially with crime stuff, even though I I wasn't a crime person necessarily.
0: (laughs) Total expert.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like I don't want to, you know, I I really have no interest in doing a series like The Little Sleep is Mark's story. You know, as a reader, I'm not I mean, I read some series, but I typically don't read a lot of series. Um, But I guess I've read more than I thought. But anyway, I said, yeah, I'm not I wasn't thinking series is the short of it. But, you know, the offer that we got from Henry Holtz, you know, was a two-book deal. And they wanted a second book featuring Mark Jenner. Which, so, you know, of course, I said yes. Um, and honestly, coming up with the second book was, I think it still remains one of the hardest things I've done as a writer. Um, oh, okay. You know, because I was new at it. Like, and now yeah. I had to come up with another book. And the whole time, I'm like, oh, I wrote a story already. I wrote a story. I know. Already.
0: It's like trying to capture no. lightning in a bottle. Like, he was, it, it. you know, The Little Sleep was fantastic. And I can't wait to read the second one. Uh, but I think I, as an author would have a lot of pressure on me if I hadn't already written it. Like if I wrote it, knowing it was two books as opposed to writing one and then going, okay, just do it again, except bigger and better.
1: No, I'm, I'm super glad. I obviously I'm glad I did it and I learned a lot. I mean, it was, I think it was a really important lesson for me as a writer to be able to, um, you know, not work on demand. It still took me like a year and a half to, to write the, the follow up. um, But, you know, I I had to come up with this book. I had some parameters. I had this character. My way in was to think thematically about the first novel. To me, the first novel is very much about, um, you you know, identity and memory and how it's malleable, which is really something I'm sort of obsessed with and appears in so many of my books. But in a lot of ways, the first book is about Mark's past. And so I'm like, okay, so thematically, my way into the second book was, okay, so this book is going to be about his presence. You know, it focuses on his attempts at friendship uh, and stuff like that. Um,
0: You're melting my cold, dead heart, Paul.
1: So if Um. I was going to write a, in my head, if I was going to write a third book, the theme was going to be future. And, you know, I didn't get beyond anywhere besides thinking, oh, the third book I was going to call Sleep at the End of the World. So I've already used the title.
0: I was (laughs) going to say, you already have a book that is basically... sleeping Um, in the cabin at the end of the world.
1: (laughs) So, and uh, my idea was, like, I was going to have him try to solve a case as a Category 5 hurricane was on its way to wipe out Boston. But uh, at the time, my publisher didn't want, you know, the books didn't do well for a variety of reasons. They didn't want a a third book. And so I was going to write it. And then since then, Ben Winters wrote sort of like apocalypse, you know, a detective solving a case as an apocalypse is approaching. So... You know, I can't. So it's been do,
0: done. Been there. I can't
1: Endor. do sleep at the end of the world, or I don't want to anyway. <laughs> so you know, never say never. But like, I really, I don't have any plans currently. But I don't know. We'll see. It might be fun right. to do a story or a novella, a short or story.
0: Like yeah, I was gonna say yeah. a short story. Don't make me write fan fiction because I <laughs> yeah. already have deadlines right. yeah. that are approaching me, and if I just have to like write Mark Genovich fan fiction in my spare time, I'm going to have to give up sleep. But I'm bum.
1: Uh, but I would be into that, yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> no Mark Janovich fan fiction. Um, I don't know. What else can I tell you? Um, yeah, so I mentioned the two books didn't sell. Well, I mean, I think one, let me tell you a little bit of publishing, like, ah, some things, like, if, for, if any writers are out there watching. So as a new writer, you know, I sold my first book. It was very exciting. I'm not complaining. It was, you know, one of the most exciting moments of my writer's life. But I think the mistake a lot of writers make if, you know, when they sell a book to a big publisher is thinking, oh, I've made it. This is it. I don't have to do all the all the self-promotion and stuff like that, like that you do when you're publishing with a smaller press. Uh, no, you very much, when you're with a big publisher, still have to try to make sure you advocate for yourself and still sort of end up doing a lot of your own legwork. Um, I sort of learned that the hard way because with The Little Sleep and No Sleep to Wonderland, there really wasn't a big uh, publicity push behind it. Um, Also, when I signed uh, the contract for The Little Sleep, my editor, hey, (laughs) I'll just finish this really quick story about, um, since I started it, when I sold The Little Sleep, I sold this to Sarah Knight, who, who is an author now, and she was a great editor. But the bummer for me was that after she signed me, six months later, she left for a different publisher. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's really its really not good when you're acquiring editor leaves because you know, your book's going to get assigned to a very capable editor. But that new editor has no personal or professional stake in how your book and, sells or not. I mean, it makes a difference. I've uh, you know
0: we've heard this story on my uh, on my other show, Voxwamis, that you were a guest on ah uh, that I mean, we've heard this story from other authors. And I think it's as an author, you really kind of imprint on your people, like you imprint on your editor, you imprint on your publicist and everybody. Mm-hmm. And you count on them so much to help you through this wild, crazy thing of publishing a book right. that if all of a sudden they're gone, yeah.
1: Now with, it's I mean, so lost an editor, uh, I think I went through like four publicists, <laughs> which was never no. great.
0: Oh it was my supposed gosh. to be
1: a hardcover initially, but they actually, I know lost an editor, the the head publisher left too. So like a new head of publisher came That's in lot. and said, oh, we're going to change it to not a hardcover, but to a, just a straight paperback. And I knew like royalty wise, I would never make up difference. And as, the, but also as the first time almost was like, I, I. I didn't feel like I could demand that they put it out in hardcover. Right. Um, so, no Little Sleep, it did okay, but when No Sleep to Wonderland came out, it was just dead on arrival. Like, the cover was terrible. Um, oh. Also, <laughs> McQuillan oh. was fighting with Amazon over the pricing of ebooks. This was the first time that sort of big fight happened. And, so the and week, that was probably uh, like was,
0: way, way back in 2012, It was, two
1: th- yeah, it was 2010. And the week that No Sleep to Wonderland came out, you could not buy it or any of my books on Amazon
0: <gasps> for the first
1: week because Amazon reacted to Macmillan by pulling every Macmillan book off the shelves.
0: Oh so, my God. Yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of weird,
1: like with these books coming out, funny. because <laughs> honestly, like the that that sort of experience, that publishing experience, you know, left my writer's psyche totally bruised and battered.
0: Right. And I, and I will So do you have like the, PTSD from that? Like <laughs> well, now that they're like, coming out again, that you're going, oh gosh, I don't want to have to relive this. No, and here no, I am no. saying, relive it, Paul, relive all of it.
1: Yeah. No, I'm happy that they're out. But, you know, I will say that after, you know, especially after No Sleep to Wonderland, I really spent like the next three, almost four years sort of just licking my wounds and being kind of bitter. Not like I wasn't online being bitter. I'm glad I wasn't <laughs> yeah. doing it outwardly. But inwardly, I was just you know, swallowing all those negative, jealous thoughts. Yeah. Uh, and sort of, again, learn the hard way that, you know, nothing good comes of that. You know, jealousy and bitterness is the page killer. And I don't think it's any coincidence that once I sort of learned to sort of really just make peace with it and let it go, um, that was when a head full of ghosts sort of hit me like a ton of bricks.
0: I was just going to yeah, say, yeah. and out of that, a head full of ghosts was born. <laughs> and Yeah. Um, I love I, I, I want everybody watching this now, listening to it later to really listen to those words that there is nothing good that can come out of jealousy and that bitterness. We all do it, I think, as as humans, but as authors, especially it's it's tricky sometimes to to see something going so well for somebody else. And you're going, oh, oh why is it so hard for me? Yeah, you know, and it's
1: it doesn't go away. That's not to say, mm-hmm. like, don't don't feel like you're a bad person if you have those thoughts. I mean, I have them all the time. It's hard not to. When everyone is, you see all these amazing deals and, and stuff announced online, it's hard not to be like, oh, you know. And so, like, kind of what I do is, you know, I, I let myself wallow for, like, 10 seconds. And yeah. if I find myself still, like, you know, I'll ask myself, okay, why are you upset by this? I'll ask myself. And once I ask myself, why am I upset about this? I'm like, oh, that's kind of dumb
0: yeah
1: or not dumb it's like okay I, it's easily that
0: I, you I can understand it, it. yeah I, f- I feel like i my first few big like heartbreaks writing wise you know they come and they go they're going to happen again and again i know they are but i remember my first like terrible scathing review somebody said look up all of your favorite authors and go directly to their worst reviews and I did that. I did that with Shirley Jackson. I did that oh, with a bunch yeah. of people. And yeah. the things that people hated.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, like if you go to, to Goodreads, it, it is funny to read like classics of literature and to see their like one star reviews. Um, so I don't know. My, my advice to anyone is don't read your Goodreads reviews. Don't read your Amazon reviews. Again, I feel like I learned the hard way. a head full of ghosts before it came out, cause obviously there were you know, the arcs and stuff, but even after it came out, I I read almost everything it was driving myself crazy. <clears throat> so I'm proud to say that starting with cabinet at the end of the world, uh, I think I read the first review on Amazon, but that was it. Um, and I haven't read any other Amazon reviews or could read reviews for my other novels. You know, I'll, I'll read, you know, newspaper reviews and stuff like that. But, um, I don't know. It's hard. Uh, I've said this on another podcast, so forgive me if you heard this before. But you know, for 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 those of you out there who're writing, it's uh you know, if we can look at writers throughout the you know the you know the last couple hundred years, there has been no other time where writers have been exposed to so much feedback and so uh, and so instantly. Like what what? And you know, we're not built to handle that. Like you know, was you know Jane Austen and Charles Dickens? You know, they weren't getting you know, tweets <laughs> and Goodreads reviews, you know, they might see something in the newspaper, but, you know, we get hundreds, you know, depending on the book, how many different reviews and comments you get. So I don't know. I try to ignore it, ignore the noise as much as I can.
0: Hi. <laughs> I, I
1: was I was jumping off of your talking about uh, reading uh, bad reviews for like, yeah, you know, brilliant works.
0: <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. When the second I heard you say Goodreads, I was like, Oh yeah, he's he's got this for a little while. If I drop out, <laughs> um, so since you have done uh, the little sleep and no sleep to Wonderland, you have gone more into like a speculative fiction horror.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, so, before I wrote the little sleep and no sleep to Wonderland, you know, pretty much everything I wrote were. Well, all the short fiction I wrote were horror stories. And, you know, horror is certainly my first love. Um, it was a weird thing, really, for most of the 2000s, that the first decade. Every short story I wrote tended to be horror. But when I tried to write longer fiction, it was still dark, but it, was, it leaned more towards humorous. Um, like, I wrote a novel called Swallowing a Donkey's Eye. That's no longer in print. That's sort of a, a Kurt Vonnegut sci-fi, you know, political satire kind of thing. Um, And with, uh, you know, with The Little Sleep, you know, I do think I used to say when it first came out, like people were, were introducing me as, hey, here's this new crime writer, Paul Tremblay. And I'm like, ah, who's that? <laughs> you know, I'm not a crime writer. Uh, I just happen to write this novel. You know, and I would sort of somewhat obnoxiously say obnoxiously say that, you know, I wrote The Little Sleep with like a horror attitude. no, um, I mean, <clears throat> Insofar as, you know, I, I felt like, oh, anything could happen kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. I was just sort of babbling on about how okay. <laughs> everything I wrote before The Little Sleep was really horror. But uh, for a while, all my all the novels that I tried to write tended to be not horror, but humor. Um, oh, and Head wow. of Ghosts was my first horror novel. But like all the short stories I'd been writing for years and years were horror. So there was another thing about uh, Head Full of Ghosts that, you know, makes it my favorite book just because it changed my life and you know it was the first time I wrote a horror novel.
0: I was gonna ask if you had a favorite, a favorite book,
1: book and yeah of- uh, I mean it, it's I think it's a head full of ghosts I mean I think um you know A Little Sleep definitely still has a spot in my heart because it's the first novel that I sold you know when they say it's my debut novel that was the fourth and a half one I had written. It was the first one that I had sold.
0: <laughs> the first one that other people who are not your family and beta readers have read.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, no sleep to one. I mean, no sleep to one. No, that's definitely not my favorite. I'm in a head full of ghosts, <laughs> you know, for a variety of reasons. You know, it was uh just really professionally satisfying that I could that I was able to prove to myself that I could sell a novel again and that I felt really good about it. Um, and obviously the response it has had. Um, you know, and Stephen King in particular, all that rolled together. Yeah, yeah, that that
0: doesn't suck, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't feel know, like either. I feel like Head Full of Ghosts was also a genre changer in many ways too. Yeah, it it was it was meta without being snarky. It was uh, beautiful, frightening. I I loved every bit of it. Thank you. I will say my favorite novel of yours is The Cabin at the End of the World because it is truthfully the only novel i have ever read in one sitting where i did not go to sleep
1: <laughs> well thank you um i i was going to say that like i feel like cabin is a close second to me that book means a lot to me um and i fight many people in my head over the ending <laughs> but, but never online <laughs> I, um,
0: I, I yeah no, don't do it online don't do it on yeah. facebook um i liked the ending i so did i <laughs> I, and I'm not going to say anything else because we're live, because it would be a spoiler. Uh, but that is the only book I've ever read in one sitting that I immediately turned to my now husband and said, You have to start reading this book right now. And he did. So
1: that's so cool. You, you caused to us to, to
0: not it. sleep for like multiple days and. We both get really cranky when that happens.
1: I, I think everybody does, yeah. But thank you. That's very
0: kind, Jennifer. It was worth it. It was, a, it was worth it to have, um, I would say, a sleep-deprived temper tantrum on my part. <laughs> um, I hate to cut this short because I've been like out of the interview for half of it, but I'm, I want to end on a good note while I'm here. <laughs> Paul, I would love it if you came back when our internet is easier to manage. Would you huh? be willing? Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Paul, uh, for allowing me to be a fangirl always. And when I ask you to come on interviews, you do it. And you're kind of benevolent.
1: (laughs) Well, it's a fitting end to the show, I suppose.